Hello and welcome to the Unpacked Shorts. I'm joined, as always, by the wonderful Peter Franklin. Hello, Peter. Hello. Who, as you, I'm sure, all know, writes our daily Unpacked column. I'm also joined by, which is very exciting, our special guest, Nigel Cameron, all the way over from the great US of A, uh, who is our editor of our technology theme. Hello. Very nice to be here. Wonderful. So, we are going to start off this Unpacked Short. We are talking about Amazon, a very favourite topic for Unheard. The piece that we're discussing is entitled, What Does the, quote, Charging Elephant, also known as Amazon, Want? Only everything and beware of getting in its way. So, Peter, why are we talking about Amazon today? Well, it's because of their uh, recent initiative to open a new store in Seattle. That seems rather counterintuitive for an online uh, service. Well, it is, except this is a rather special store. Um, the interesting thing is that you just go in you choose what you want and you walk out with it. Sounds like theft. It does, but there are sensors and there are cameras that detect what you've taken and automatically charge your account for the uh, you know required sum. And so it's the ultimate in um, sort of frictionless retail, you might call it. Okay, and Nigel, you were mentioning earlier, I think this is sort of history repeating itself slightly? Well, the idea was there about 25 or 30 years ago that uh, we would be able to do this kind of thing. Um, we had things called RFID chips, which were quite the talking point back then. These little chips, which you could, are used by some retailers now for stock control, inventory control. And the idea was they would be in everything. So every time you know you, you, you bought a packet of tea, it would have a little RFID chip in it, and you could just walk in and out. And this was the theory. But in fact, these chips never became quite cheap enough to be able to be used like that. And so uh, we've ended up with these very clunky, you know, point of sale machines we have now to use if you want to do a do to check out without having a person there. So in a sense, this was all talked about back then. Didn't work out for technical reasons, and now suddenly, apparently, the technology has moved on. It can be done. And uh, Peter, you talk about in your unpack column the fact that Amazon are obviously having to spend an awful lot of money up front to get this technology to work. So, so what does that mean for the sector? Well, it's something they've done since their beginning. I mean, they were originally known as the online bookstore. And for a long time, they didn't make profits. Um, but in spend in investing so intensely in um, integrating, not just vertically, down and up uh, a, a value chain, a supply chain, but also horizontally, so at each stage, in the supply chain, acquiring competitors and so forth, just acquiring more and more market share. They got so big that they could just do things that other people couldn't do. And eventually, in you know their initial business um, targets, they started making money. And so everyone thinks, well, this is the same with actual physical but very high-tech stores. And so uh, I want to come back to the point about um, this sort of kind of, you know, giant of a uh, retail business and, and, and some of the challenges that come with that. But, but just before we move on to that, um, what does this mean for the future of retail? Because on the one hand, we've got 
physical stores opening, which you know seems very kind of you know 1990s now. Um, but on the other hand, there's not going to be people working in them. So so yes. what does this mean for retail? Is this the final nail in the coffin of of the high street? Well, it could be. I mean, whenever you try to replace humans with robots or machines. Um, there's often sort of niggly little bits where the robots can't quite manage it. Um, so what this sort of huge retail op- operation that Amazon's now got, they've got control of all the links, right? So they can redefine their own retail ecosystem to make it as easy as possible for robots to do the jobs. And so you, you use a great example, I think it is in this piece, around taking a meter Reading. So, can you can you just explain that? Well, this is just the idea of, um, you know, for for some time we've had robots that could read, you know, a a um, a, you know, sort of numbers on a screen. Um, So, like your electricity reading, for instance, yes, on your sort of gas meter or 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 power meter. But um, if you think about the, you know, the the man or occasionally the woman that knocks on your door and asks to take a meter reading, um, a robot can't do that directly because obviously you you know a robot can't knock on the door it can't ask directions it can't find the meter that's hidden in the cupboard ask permission to to take the reader yeah so it can't do the whole job so you redefine the job right instead of having someone knocking on the door you have a piece of machinery replacing the old-fashioned meter that stays there all the time and just sends the readings back to hq using you know sort of electronic communication so so essentially what amazon can do is take the whole value chain in yes. essence um and revolutionize it so That's take right. out the bits you can't automate yes. and automate change the bits to make sure and that, that could that be at every can. stage you know the factory the um distribution network um the warehouses uh packaging just about everything they've got control of it they're in a brilliant position to work out how to automate the lot. And so that brings us back to this question about what Amazon represents. Um, so on the one hand, you'll have you know people in, in, let's say, the red corner saying, this is a massive threat. You know, Amazon, like the other tech giants, are monsters. They've got monopolistic tendencies. They're anti-competition. We need to do something about them. In the blue corner, we have the people saying, hold on a minute, this is great for consumers. You know, it's frictionless, it's offering them what they want at a price they want. So, you know, it's innovation and it's good. Nigel, where do you stand on that argument? Well, I think I stand on both sides of it. I mean, I we, think do, we don't hedge our bets here <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> I stand firmly on both sides of it. I mean, Amazon is brilliant at customer, customer experience. I mean, we all use it. It is just incredible how pleasant, how simple it is. I mean, Bezos has, has really revolutionized the whole customer experience process. Uh, customers often like having people serving them in shops. Um, I, think, I think there's something of a, of a sort of demonstration significance behind this initiative. I don't think they're going to make money out of this kind of thing for a long time, partly because human labor is very cheap. I mean, minimum wage people working in shops don't cost shops much money at all, and people tend to like them. So I'm not concerned the high street will disappear. Uh, Maybe that this model would produce an option for us to revitalize our high streets. I mean, high streets aren't basically about shop assistants. High streets are people buying things and mixing in high streets. Maybe if you took some little English town, which has had a high street full of charity shops for years now, you could put in shops which didn't require staff, uh, but indeed sold things and provided services. 
uh, in a more economical way. So, I mean, I think I think there's everything to play for here. Uh, on the other hand, nobody would accuse Jeff Bezos of running a business that creates jobs. Uh, that's but not this, in their business model. On this question of though, you know, should we be scared about the potential market share that Amazon is going to get from, you know, being able to invest vast amounts of money up front and, as um, Peter was saying, not necessarily get any return anytime soon. You know, most businesses can't afford to do that. So, you know, should, does antitrust need to get involved here? Well, it seems to me antitrust should have been much more involved from the word go with the digital revolution, and not least because the digital um, equipment basically was handed to these companies free of charge by the U.S. taxpayer. The U.S. government basically invented all of these technologies. Silicon Valley did not. Uh, at the same time, I think it's been a good thing these companies have been able to grow uh, and they've been able to sort of try out the technologies and find methods to make them effective and to, to give us all sorts of new services. Um, what we'd like would be traditional anti-competition, pro-competition, anti-monopoly approaches by governments to be consistent. The problem is historically they've always been political initiatives. They haven't really been legal ones. Governments need to decide and people need to persuade governments to decide that we should rein these companies in for the long term. It's been great they've had this shot to expand, develop these things. Now is the time to take them more seriously as the mega corporations they are run by tycoons and we need to to bring them to heel. Well, that seems a perfect note to end on. Um, I am, though, going to just quote Peter's final line from the Unpacked, though I'm not going to give him an opportunity to explain it as we're running out of time. But, um, Peter, you end saying, I also suspect that most of our politicians haven't got the first clue what's heading our way, uh, which sounds rather ominous and a bit of a call to arms, perhaps, for us to think about how we manage this, perhaps thinking about Nigel's point around antitrust. Thank you so much for listening. As always, please do subscribe if you haven't already on whatever the uh, podcast app is that you use. And if you have enjoyed this, uh, please do rate us. If you haven't, then uh, try us again next time. I'm sure you're going to learn to love us. Um, And otherwise, until next time, thank you.